Well, this past week was an interesting uh, week for me of emotional ups and downs. And um, I just wanted to kind of walk through some of the things that I experienced with you. Is I Last week on Sunday, it was a gorgeous day, and um, uh, as, as I was talking before to some of you, uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter is playing soccer uh, these days on Sundays, and so she's not able to be with us, and Cindy's not able to be with us, my wife. And so uh, when we got back after lunch, we decided to go for a walk around the neighborhood just to connect before the weekend, or before the week starts. And as we were finishing our lap around, we came to uh, one of the houses and one of our neighbors, as we were coming down the hill, they were kind of getting out of their car from wherever they had been, and we started chatting, we were sharing about how in the medical system where he's uh, been dealing with his son, he said there's, he, he finds there's no hope. He said he really struggles as he was going through this process uh, and, and uh, from everything from medical to psychology and, and just everywhere in between, as he goes in and he goes into uh, the ER sometimes and he has to wait for hours and hours, this particular time he had to wait for several hours. And it just seemed that people were pushing uh, the, the, the children around. It was, a med- it was a children's hospital, I think. Just pushing them around, and, and they weren't um, able to heal them, to help them heal. They were just kind of making sure they were safe. I think that was what he said. He said, when he talked to the doctors and the nurses, he said, well, there's not really much we can do. Our best job is we can make sure that they're safe. And, and as a dad, he was just kind of heartbroken. And he was saying to me, he said, uh, I just I felt like, like, like there was no hope in the system that I was trusting to help care for my, my child. And so as we were talking about that, we, we got talking not just about that, but it led us to just talk about how it can be a hard world that we live in. And we are expanding to that, to the exhaustion that all of us feel because of COVID and uh, just how you know several years of this pandemic has just been weighing upon us. Um, you know, we thought in, in the beginning of COVID, this you know, it would be a couple of months or weeks, maybe a couple of months, but it'd be over and now we're over two years and it continues to just be something that we have to adjust to. As, as one friend of mine said, it's not something that you know, we thought it was gonna be something we'd get through and over, and now we're realizing that COVID is something that's kind of with us. We're gonna have to adjust our lives to living in a COVID world forever, it, it seems. Then you look at the war in Ukraine and you think, oh my gosh, this has been going on for so long. Um, this is uh, approaching three months, months. Thousands and thousands of civilians have died, let alone the military. Uh, you know, a lot of these deaths have been covered up, and we don't, you know, we don't even know the, the grand total. And it's just, it's devastating when you think of these mass graves that we're reading about every day and just the lives that are destroyed and the families that are under this incredible weight. I personally, I, I think about my own life. I think about friends who are looking for work. I think of extended family and various friends who are dealing with health issues. Some of them, uh, even as we prayed this morning, people who are battling for their life with respect to their health. And this is what our people, the people we know, the people that we love, we ourselves, we're carrying around with us every single day. This was Sunday of last week. This is where I started after I went to church and we came together and celebrated uh, the Sunday. I was walking around with these things throughout the week. And I was just feeling down. And I was looking, throughout the week, I was looking for something to pull me up out of this downward trend that I was noticing was happening in my life. It wasn't a spiral. I wasn't out of control. But I was noticing that I was just kind of ah, feeling the weight of the world. I was feeling down. I was feeling this downward trend. And, and looking back on this week, I realized I was looking for hope. I was looking for hope, but hope in what? Hope in what? This 
this year, as some of you know, I've been reading through the Bible and I've been doing a lot of work in the Old Testament. And I was, uh, this past week, I just finished, I was studying the book of Job. I was reading Job, and I don't know if you've ever read the, the book of Job before. Um, a lot of people look at Job, and they're not really sure. When, when you read scholars and they talk about the book of Job, they're not sure. Was Job an allegory, or was Job an actual person? Is Job a story that is told as, as a symbol of something that we should learn about, or was Job an, an actual person who lived and experienced these things? And, and on the surface of the story, as you read Job, it's, a, it, it's not really a comforting story. It's a story about a guy who's uh, being marked by God and by Satan, and he's kind of caught in the crosshairs of these two uh, entities. And, and so if you look at the story, it's not really a comforting story at all. But if you look below the surface, you can see that it encourages us. And, and so the story of Job, if you're not familiar, is, is God and Satan, they're having a conversation and uh, they're having this conversation specifically about a man named Job who lives on the earth. And God says to Satan, he says, Job is righteous, and he is blameless, and he trusts me. And so God was standing up for this man, Job. And Satan says, well, you know what, if you give me a chance, I'll get Job to turn on you. This is what the scriptures tell us, is this battle between Satan and between God. And so God says, do anything you want to Job. That's fine. I trust Job. You do anything you want. You just can't kill him. But anything you want to do, he's yours. And so Satan goes to work. He steals his crops. He, uh, or he kills, uh, steals his crops and, and his livestock. He kills the livestock. He burns down Job's house. He kills his family. He gives Job all kinds of diseases, warts and, and pimples and all kinds of things, sores on his body. And if that's not enough, if he hasn't had everything removed from him and his body just being broken down, if that's not enough, Job has these three friends who are not encouraging at all. They show up to kind of encourage him, but they're not encouraging at all. They keep saying, man, you are just in a pit of despair. You should just curse God and die. Turn your back on God and die because God has turned his back on you. And through it all, through this whole story, God, uh, Job remains steadfast. He remains steadfast. He remains true. He remains pure. And he remains hopeful in God. He remains steadfast through the whole thing, except in one thing. Towards the end of this whole saga, this whole story, at the end, he defends himself against his friends. And he throws God kind of under the bus. As his friends have been barraging him and telling him he's a wreck and he's a mess and he should just give up on God and he should try and die, as he's going through this whole thing, he, he, in, a, in a moment of defensiveness, he, he kind of throws God under the bus and, 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 and he cries out. He says, I don't know why any of this is happening. I, I'm blameless. Let me stand before God and prove that I'm blameless. I'll stand before God on trial right now. If God looks at my record, he'll see that I am blameless. And if God wants to hurt me like this, I will stand and answer for anything that I have done because I'm not wrong in this, is essentially what Job is saying. And although Job is truly a righteous man, as you read the story of Job, I feel like Job was actually standing up for us a lot of times. God looks at Job and says he's righteous. He's righteous. And, and, and the words that Job is, is crying out to share, I hear in my own voice, when I think about how I've been put upon in my own life. In the story of Job, Job only sees one option before him. He's crying out. He says, I am hurting, and bad things are happening to me. Therefore, God must just be angry with me. Because if God wasn't angry with me, I'd be having good things in my life. 
But it must just be that God is angry with me. He must hate me. And that must be what's going on. Has anyone ever felt like that? Have any of us, you don't have to raise your hands. I see smiles. You can if you want. But have we felt, of course we felt like that. Right? How many of us have, have looked at our lives and said, God must just hate me because I can't understand all this garbage that's going on inside of my life. I've done nothing wrong, I think, but, but what is going on here that God is hurting me like this? We've all felt like that. But here's the thing. God doesn't hate any of us. At the end of the story, after Job and his friends have talked and gone back and forth and, and all this, God gets a chance to speak to Job. God gets a chance to speak to Job, and he speaks directly to this, this man, and he challenges Job. He says, Job, it is not possible for you to understand what I'm doing in your life. You, you cannot understand all of my actions. You are a human being, and you only have a limited amount of knowledge. You can't possibly understand everything that I have done or everything that I will ever do. Here's just a sample of what we see God saying uh, to Job here as he speaks to him. Uh, this is uh, starting in verse 38, it says. Um, in verse 38, it says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst forth from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in a thick darkness? Have you given the horse its strength or clothed its neck with flowing mane? Is it your wisdom that makes the hawk soar and spread its wings towards the south? Then the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have all the answers? It's almost like God is taunting Job, but that's not it at all. All God is trying to do is he's trying to say, Job, do you get it? I'm trying to make a point here. You, Job, don't have all the answers. And that's true of us too. But not having all the answers, that frustrates us, and it makes us mad, and it makes us sad at times. But the point that Job is, is making here, the point of the book here, and the point that spoke to me this week, and it's something that I want to share with you, is that hope can be found if you are willing to trust God's character more than the hardships that you are facing. God, hope can be found if you're willing to trust God's character more than the things that you are facing in a given moment. That was the problem with Job. He saw his difficult circumstances and he forgot the character of God. A pastor friend of mine recently said this to me and he, he told me this is his view on hope. He said, people never get to live in a state of hope. You don't get to live in a state of hopefulness. You don't just get to live in hope. You don't get to live there. The only way to get to hope is to go through the valley. You don't, to get, to li you don't get to live in hope. The only way to get to hope is to go through the valley. This week, hope is something that I've been looking for. And I'm hoping for my family. I'm hoping for my friends. I'm hoping for members of this congregation who are going through tough times. I am hoping, but with that hope comes a necessary sadness. Because I'm going through the valley looking for hope. There's a blog post that I came across this past week. And the woman who posted, her name is Michelle Rays, 
And Michelle writes for encourage.me, encourage.me, if you're looking for that. Specifically, you women in the room, it is a blog or it's a website designed for women to be women of courage in life. It's a great, great place for devotions and, uh, and, and messages. And so Michelle wrote this, uh, this statement. She posted this. She has a picture right here. And it says, let your lament be your declaration of hope in, the God, in, the, in God in the midst of hard things. Let your lament be your dedication of hope in God in the midst of hard things. And then Michelle wrote these words in her article. She said, for a long time, I thought the heaviness of my heart and the lament on my lips meant that I didn't love God. That somehow being grieved and burdened by the weight of the world's brokenness meant that I wasn't trusting him enough to make all things new. But what I've learned in recent years is that my lament can be a practice of hope. Lamenting in prayer until tears stream from my eyes is one way of clinging to God when nothing else makes sense. Your lament is a way for you to hope. When nothing else makes sense in life, your hope is in what? As Christians, our hope lies in Jesus Christ. The story of Job reminds us that none of us were there when the world was created. <clears throat> we might be smart people. We might know a lot of things, but we don't know everything. And faith is learning to trust in the character of God who does know everything. Money, friends, health, happiness, all of these things are fleeting. All of these things will diminish. But when our hope is in Jesus, who beat death, when I believe that Jesus walked into a tomb and he walked out of that tomb as well, he came back out, he broke the power of sin and death, in that belief I become part of God's family. And I beat death too. The story of Job, our faith in Jesus, it tells us that nothing that the world throws at you will beat you. Nothing can beat you. Knock you down? Sure. Rough you up a bit? Absolutely. Can the world distract you and cause you to be lost at times? Sure. But beat you completely? Never. Never. Life is tough. And there are going to be challenges. What you do with the pain that you experience in life matters. And how you handle your pain, that is a testimony for other people. No matter who you are, no matter what age you are, we all have something that we can give to someone else. We can pass on our experiences. Each of us in this room, each of us listening online, each of us, from the youngest of us to the oldest of us, have walked through valleys in our lives looking for hope. We've all looked through valleys, uh, walked through valleys looking for hope. We've all faced difficult obstacles, and yet we are here today. What you do with your pain matters. How you handle your pain will be a testimony 
for others. <clears throat> it's no secret that the American church is getting older. It's not a secret that the American church is getting older every year. According to a 2020 uh, faith community study that was done by Harvard Seminary, I'm sorry, Hartford Seminary, um, one-third of, uh, one of all American congregations are 65 and older. One-third of the American congregations are senior citizens. Like, that is a very large uh, population. Our churches are aging at a faster rate than the average population of the country. And while that is most definitely something that concerns us, your rose-colored glass pastor would like to share something encouraging with you. I'd like to share some positive news for you because I believe this, that the church is in one of the best positions it's ever been in in decades to be able to share hope with other people. We are in one of the best positions we've ever been to share hope with the world around us. This is especially true if you are older in this congregation, if you're older and you're listening to this online. If you have been seasoned by life, let's say, if you have been seasoned by life, you can show the next generation how you've gotten here. If you have been seasoned by life, you can show the next generation that life hasn't beaten you. There are so many young kids out there today who are feeling despondent. They are taking their own lives because they are hopeless. And yet the American church, which is older, has the ability to turn and be able to give to the next generation hope. You can say, life hasn't beaten me. Let me tell you my story. Each of you have walked through valleys through your life, but it is only through the valley that you get to hope. Telling your stories to the next generation or sharing your story with another person, letting your faith be seen by those around you is so important. Someone invested in you in order for you to be here today. And so your job, your ability, your opportunity now is to invest in someone else's life. When you came in, or I think the ushers handed it out <clears throat> to you, a card with your connection card, there was a postcard uh, attached to that. And I ask you to pull out that postcard if you can. And uh, I neglected to uh, put a place for your name on it, so if you're willing to do that, please uh, put your name on that. But um, there are several boxes on that. One of them says, I will volunteer at Kumac this month. As I mentioned earlier, we are supporting Kumac financially, but, you know, Kumac is a place where people are looking for hope. It is a food bank, but it is so much more than a food bank. It is something that, uh, it is a place where people go for hope to find dignity, where people go to find uh, health, when they go to find wholeness. And we can offer that to people just by going and serving at Kumac. So as we are building a relationship, there's a way for you to apply what I'm talking about today by going and serving at Kumac. So maybe you'd be willing to go down and volunteer at Kumac one day uh, this month. Uh, the next box, it says, I'll participate in our summer CASA event. We are right now considering uh, a program to work with CASA. We're not sure that we're going to do our summer uh, camp program the way we've always done it, offering it to the whole community, we were looking at maybe doing something with CASA, the group that's been here before and talked about the foster care program. 
And I still don't know what that's going to look like because we're in negotiations talking with them about that. But they said, uh, maybe we would do a picnic or something. Well, maybe we as a church could do something and support the foster care system in our community and love those kids and love those parents and love those people by just opening our doors and being welcoming and friendly and showing them hope through our actions. So maybe you'd be willing to participate in our summer CASA program. Uh, here's one. The Bible app that we have on our phones that I talk about all the time, I would ask you to find the one on the YouVersion Bible app that we put on, and there's, a, there's an actual study you can type it in, just Finding Hope in Job. There's a study called Finding Hope in Job. It's a five-day study. And it has a, a devotional for the day, a one-minute devotional. It has a scripture passage from Job, and it has a prayer. And so you could maybe say, I'm going to do that this week, and I'm going to learn how I can find hope in the study of Job. And then maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something I'm not even talking about here. These are just small things. Maybe there's some way that you can identify, I'm going to share my life today with someone else in this way, and I'm going to try and provide hope for someone else. Just by your willingness to serve, just by your willingness to look at this card and check a box or to, to do something, you are showing others that you have hope. You don't have to have it all together. You could be going through a really difficult time. You could be in the valley right now. As you're sitting here, as you're listening online, you could be sitting in a valley. You don't have to have all the answers. But God will use your gift if, uh, to do something for someone else. If you use that, if you bring that hope out into the world and the world around you just by <clears throat> you sharing your life. Though tears may stream for your eyes, you are clinging to God. And when you show by example that hope lives in you, you are able to give hope to others. And so I'm going to ask you today to fill out that card and put your name on it, as I said. And then before you leave, I would just ask you to put it in the offering box. Give it as an offering to God. And also by doing that, I will collect those. And uh, what I will do is I will uh, read over those and I will pray for you and I will support you any way I can. If you're online, just let us know on Facebook if you're willing to, what you're willing to do. Or you can email me direct, directly, pastor at Wayne Presbyterian, if you want it to be more private. But no one's going to be looking at these but me. But I'll be praying for you, and I will uh, encourage you any way that I can as you make this decision to share hope with someone else. And as you do this, as you step out those doors today, as you think about your life as a beacon of hope, no matter where you are in your journey of faith, you can be a beacon of hope to someone else. And may hope in the world increase as you grow to serve other people and share hope with them. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you are a God of hope. Lord, we are so grateful for the words of Job and for your, your Bible that is before us, that encourages us and it challenges us. And Lord, we want to hear your Holy Spirit working inside of our lives and showing us that even as we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear evil, Lord, and we will, we will learn to live out our hope. So Lord, help us to cling to you, even as our lament, even as tears are rolling down our faces, Lord. May our lament be a symbol of hope, both to us and to others. And we pray this all today in Jesus' name. Amen.